ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Dying Time is here. That's right, we're talking Jason Goes to Hell on Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal Patrick Hamilton coming to you once again from somewhere in between Youngstown, Ohio and Camp Crystal Lake. It's the Kill by Kill podcast where we are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. So we will be unpacking all the gory details, and they are very gory, of Jason Goes to Hell the final Friday in the hopes that an FBI agent or random camper that you pick up off the side of the road, their death is just the beginning of the jokes that we can make about them. And as always, there is only one person that I trust to help me make sure the person that I transfer my heartworm too is properly groomed the one and only gina radcliffe how are you doing gina uh I'm, I'm good patrick you know we're gonna turn the lights down low we're gonna we're gonna set the mood because things are gonna get a little freaky in this episode <laughs> and this is saying something this may end up being the most sexual uh episode in the history Erotic. of the Kill like a podcast <laughs> just just we're, we're going blue ladies and gentlemen you just nsfw and as for kids, just, you know, just just you know, clutch your pearls, grab your monocles, because it's getting down and dirty. <laughs> kids love monocles. We've all heard about it. It's fidget spinners, it's frosted tips, and it's monocles twenty four sevs. So, you know, I said that this is the most sexual. I think uh, that we're ever going to get. You know what the last super sexual episode of the Kill by Kill podcast was? When we had our one of our guests here on it for uh, the first episode of A New Beginning, uh, where we had two guys who looked like they were digging up a corpse in order to fuck it, and later on we had a sub-dom relationship, and our first guest recognized it was proper because... The Dom did not shit in front of his sub because that would have been rude. Quote, unquote. The one and only John Brandon. How you doing, John? Once again, bringing your podcast down to my filthy, filthy level. That's why I brought you here, because I don't own this elevator unto myself. I'm hoping that you will do it for me. Right. <laughs> when I think of the Kill by Kill podcast, I think of a little girl in a pink dress pushing a hot dog through a donut. Okay, we're going oh, to get you this. Because <laughs> there's a lot to unpack with that statement. We can't just drop that out of nowhere. But here's the good news is that uh, John is not alone. No, no, no. Uh, he has brought with him his cohort from his podcast, The One and only Jim Banks. How are you doing, sir? Hey, I'm doing well. I wish I could be introduced with like that beast roar that the that the uh, medical examiner does. <laughs> yeah, the dinosaur noise. Sure. Yes, I I want that. Uh, I'm gonna practice that later. <laughs> First of all, one of the problems with that is you have to eat a heart with a lot of black goo in it. And really what you're doing is you're letting all that dinosaur noise escape so that Tinkerbells can come in and control your body. <laughs> That's okay. I mean, nothing worth uh, doing is easy, I guess. <laughs> this is very, very true. And so um, 
you know, as it is tradition here on the Friday, uh, on the Friday the Thirteenth podcast, we're not we're not <laughs> called that at all. Uh, one day I'll remember the name of my podcast. Our tradition here on the Kill by Kill podcast is always to ask our guests what their first, where they came into contact with Friday the Thirteenth for the first time. Now we know John's story, but Jim, we don't know yours. Uh, what was the first time you and Jason ever met up? in the real world or in the theater. You know, I've uh I don't know that I've ever seen a Friday the you know what, I take that back. I recently saw the the original Friday the 13th at a drive-in over the summer. Um mm-hmm. that was my only theatrical experience with the series, but my dad for better for better or worse, probably for worse when I was a kid uh, always had like seemingly always had a slasher movie on. So if it wasn't Friday the 13th, it was there was a Nightmare on Elm Street or there was something like a Hellraiser or something like that in the background. So there was uh, I've seen a ton of these movies since I can remember watching movies. I've seen a lot of them. Gina sort of had that uh, sort of open relationship with movies growing up. I, I did not. I had to sneak away to get any sort of horror movie action. But you know what? It doesn't matter where we've been. It matters where we've ended up. And that is, at this point in the movie, um, right smack dab in the middle of a television broadcast. So let's let's bring everybody up to speed. What What's a quick body count? Like, who's still left alive at this point in the movie? And the answer is everyone. We haven't met a single protagonist yet. Not a one. And we don't really meet them after this, um, you know, for the next 20 minutes either. <laughs> Conceivably... We don't really. I mean, well, this is going to be, I, I think, an interesting conversation as we go forward. Who is the protagonist of this film? And I'm starting to believe it might just be Jason. <laughs> Are you saying that cool cop lady from the beginning doesn't come back? <laughs> no, unfortunately, that would have been awesome. Hmm. Yeah, that, that would have been great. If she was throughout the rest of this movie, I would have died and gone to heaven. But no, we're going to hell with Jason. And so that means we're going to meet all sorts of people who will almost immediately die. Or you wonder what their point is in this film to begin with. So let us start here on the set of American Case File, which is, well, first of all, it's a shitty name for a TV show. And I should know this because I hate to break it to everybody. uh, I afford my mortgage renaming shitty television shows. (laughs) This is a bad one. Hmm. So there's a couple things we learn off right off the bat. Number one, our host Robert Campbell wears terrible ties. (laughs) Fucking egregious. Maybe that's his thing. (laughs) It is his thing because number two, he gets his suits from the Joker's closet. (laughs) <laughs> this is not a natural combination that he's wearing at the beginning. This sort of dark sky blue and a brown tie with maroon. No, mm-hmm. no, 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 no. No. <laughs> Even in the '90s, this looked terrible. I was gonna I, say. I, I was gonna say. I, I think you know we got to look at it in terms of this might have been a reasonable, you know, sartorial choice in the early '90s. There were some questionable fashions in in that time period. Absolutely. And the, here's the deal. I may have worn a tie like that. I just never would have worn it with that color jacket. That is a terrible combination. And he is a professional television person. There's someone 
dressing him. And they're like, this looks great. It does not. I promise you, no one from hard copy showed up looking that shitty on television. (laughs) And maybe there's a reason why. Because the third and final thing that we learned from our introduction to Mr. Campbell is that he has the charisma of a urinal cake. (laughs) He reminds me a little bit of, uh, he's got a little bit of a Tucker Carlson-esque thing going on. Mm-hmm. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. He, he doesn't look like he's been punched in the nuts every time he just tries to listen to someone talk. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ, this fucking, I'm drinking, everyone. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I, I actually have hit a, a, a beer or two but before this. I, I am, I mean, I was going to say this for later, but I am amazed at how much I have forgotten about this movie. I had remembered the heart-eating scene, and I remember the scene that took place in the diner, which is later in the movie. Mm-hmm. But none of this, none of what we're about to cover, this was all new to me. And, I'm, and, and numerous times, I I sent a, right before we started recording, I sent a, a Facebook message to Patrick in capital letters, all caps, what in God's name? something that we often get down on some of the other movies for that they're they're too formulaic or they are simply repeating the same beats over and over again with with slightly different elements this movie for better or for worse is legitimately swinging for the fences now the pitch it's decided to hit is something that is uniquely new line but it's not friday the 13th they are deciding to make this a supernatural freddy movie basically he jason is now freddy it's the hidden but he's freddy (laughs) Because there's all this supernatural mumbo-jumbo everyone keeps talking about and doesn't really, in my mind, to this point, and I try not to watch the movie too far ahead of when we talk about it, to this point, I don't feel that this is a natural meeting of two worlds. There's no peanut butter and chocolate happening here. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's just supernatural mumbo-jumbo and filming in Elysian Park. Because it basically, it it doesn't track with anything that has happened up to this point not not even the weird sort of vaguely supernatural twist in jason takes manhattan where apparently he can just you know mind link with somebody mm-hmm. or just it's none of nothing none of it has any connection to what they are saying now is the true nature of jason which is basically a supernatural being wearing a rotting corpse and, and waited till that corpse was about to, to fall apart like a wet paper bag before jumping into someone else. Now, you, you, you mentioned The Hidden, and I do think that there was a huge influence behind it. Now, I love The Hidden. I must have watched that movie about 37 times because it was on cable about every half an hour around about 1988 or so. Mm-hmm. But one of the running things in it is when the host body got too injured, they would leap to you know a body that was in much better condition. But no, no, Jason waits until he is literally a pile of smoking corned beef to transfer into someone else. Now you would think, hmm, maybe he would wait maybe around part four when he has a machete driven halfway into his skull. Or, hmm, maybe he would wait till maybe he would wait until after he got chained at the bottom of a lake. Or maybe he would wait till he got toxic waste thrown on him. Nope, nope, he's <laughs> biding his time. He's waiting until he literally cannot move anymore. 
I mean, this is basically the idea that you had played Pac-Man all your life, and then about nine screens into it, Pac-Man sprouts legs and an axe and just starts chopping through the maze, doing whatever, whatever the fuck he wants. The, there is no point previous to this that he has demonstrated this level of supernatural power. I mean, obviously raising from the dead by God lightning or telepathic whammy, but this is an entirely new level, and people talk about it. And we'll get to that conversation because it needs its its own breath. <laughs> but people talk about this like, what you know about Jason Voorhees, you don't know anything. And you're like... I guess I don't, but I also paid for a ticket for the ninth Friday the 13th movie. <laughs> so you can guess that I know quite a bit about this motherfucker. I mean, this movie goes through all the rigmarole of saying things like that Jason sends a shiver down a nation's spine. Why would anyone ever go anywhere near that portion of New Jersey if that were true? <laughs> Why would they wait until now to send in an FBI team? They also claim that he's got 83 confirmed murders, which means there's a whole lot of unconfirmed murders that <laughs> people have just been getting away with in the Camp Crystal Lake area that they don't want to pin down on him too much. Yeah, they say scores of unconfirmed deaths. So, wow, that's a lot. Because each score is 20, right? Like four score and... Oh. oh, man, you just classed up this joint. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> you brought in some, some, Lincoln. some word science. <laughs> Way to go. But I, I'd like to think, uh, in the conversation we're about to uh, address, it, it both confuses things vis-a-vis -vis Friday the 13th Part 7 and explains things in relation to Part 5 because perhaps uh, the ambulance man got Barf Jason into him. <laughs> huh? Think about that. That I, listen, I would even buy that. But you would have to tell me where Pinehurst is, mm. because no one ever has. You know why? Because <laughs> no one ever says where that fucking place is in the world. <laughs> it could be in Sh Sri Lanka, for all we know. Mm. It, there's really no time or place to it. All we know is that Roy had an evidence locker of Jason articles and his wallet so full that I'm surprised he could sit in an ambulance level. I would assume he would constantly be leaning to the left butt cheek with that much newspaper in his wallet. Right. But we do meet Roy's wife today, so think about that. <laughs> wait, wait, no, 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 no. Wait I'll explain when we get there. Okay. All right. This brain matter might be leaking out of my nose. I'm just going to let you know that. So he, in the middle of this case file broadcast, which is just serendipitous, we have our host, Robert Campbell, say that Jason Voorhees was believed to be drowned. Mm -hmm. So now we are, we're going back to the idea that he didn't drown. That this, not in my words, mongoloid child oh. looked like he drowned, swam to a different shore, was raised by raccoons. Mm -hmm. This is a kid who did not know how to swim, and he raised himself in the woods. Then later, many years later, watched his mom get murdered. It's like, hey, I just found a thing to do. And then started murdering people nonstop until he was killed because you have to have a goonie 
to kill a sloth, Corey Feldman kills him. Then he's buried. Then Roy gets an idea, even though there are dozens of other better red herrings in that entire movie. <laughs> then we come back for part six, God lightning in the lake, then psychic whammy in the lake. Then he gets electrocuted by the same way that Jaws 2 got killed by an electric cable in the water. Then he gets drowned in toxic waste, becomes a 10-year-old, and here we are. <laughs> right. But Perfect. this is the first time he's died. This is the first time. Ugh, <laughs> 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 Who, who's to say? We're told by our, our host that we're going to have a, an interview with Creighton Duke, a legendary bounty hunter. This was conducted just one week after Jason's alleged termination. That is an odd choice of words. Like, he wasn't <laughs> fucking fired from the quick stop for stealing bread. He was blown up. <laughs> Violently. <laughs> there, there's no gentle blowing up, and I promise you, the results of this, which we got to see up close and personal, were not gentle. And we get to see where uh, Creighton Duke's compound is, which is uh, down by the L.A. River before they built the bike path. And he's walking around dressed like the fucking Undertaker from 1988. I was actually going to say he uh, dressed like Walker, Texas Ranger. <laughs> he does. They also call his his comp like his own famous training compound. Like, which, what are you what, training for? <laughs> yeah, what is it? Yeah, and like, what is it famous for? He's killed six other notorious serial killers unnamed but we're told right up front they're notorious i i I mean you're not supposed to be just killing these people though i mean that's there is a there's certain things like due process and i mean nobody's going to be upset if somebody you killed john wayne gacy but i mean these aren't like rabid coyotes you have to send someone out to catch in a trap there's aren't bounty hunters usually you hire to find people who skip bail Yes. yes. They, they yeah. retrieve people for bail money that is then forfeited to them. That is the how they go from, I'm searching for a person, I get a person, I get paid. I'm not particularly sure what it is to be a professional assassin of serial killers. <laughs> and, and, be, and being famous for it. Being like yeah. a, a, a minor celebrity for your ability to track down and murder serial killers. Did they say that he killed the uh, previous serial killers? Yes. Oh. Yes. The the host says that he is responsible for the deaths of six notorious he, serial he's killers. He's basically Dexter, you know, if Dexter did not give a shit about being caught. Yeah, if Dexter walked out in the middle of everywhere with a black, you know, long coat and black Texas Ranger cowboy hat constantly and just whipped out a knife in the middle of an interview when you're just talking to somebody. <laughs> Uh, But we're getting ahead of ourselves because we have a nice sit down, which looks like it was in a very pleasant Atwater Village backyard. Mm -hmm. And our host asked this question. What do you think of when I say the name Jason Voorhees? (laughs) And the response to this by Creighton is, hmm, a little girl in a pink dress sticking a hot dog through a donut. What does that mean? What does that mean? <laughs> what does Why that would, mean? What If you said, what does spaghetti mean to you? Would you get the same answer? Would you get an answer just as oddly sexual and inappropriate? I don't know. How, how does this inform me about him other than 
he thinks outside the box, but the box he's thinking in is gross. It's super gross. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's like smiling and sort of leering at him. And I, I, I guess it's supposed to establish that he's just, you know, this kind of on the edge guy. You never, you don't know if he's going to be a good guy or a bad guy or a renegade or with the audience isn't going to know if they can trust him or not. And it's just like, all right, just say the craziest thing you could possibly say when someone asks you a question. But why would that be the first thing that comes into your mind when someone says Jason Voorhees? I don't know. A lot of people do weird shit in this movie. Does this set the tone that everybody in this film is super horny? Yes. (laughs) Okay. Good. <laughs> I mean, it is for sure that Creighton, wherever he goes, ends up doing something that is uniquely odd that I don't think works for him. I don't know how he's been an effective bounty hunter slash serial killer assassin I, I with wanna, this I, kind I, of instincts. I, I want to say that there might he they might be trying for a little bit of a uh, you know he's he's. You know, he's looked so much into the abyss that, you know, the abyss has looked back into him and he's all crazy now and, you know, trying for a little bit of, you know, manhunter thing where he's been chasing after these people so long that he doesn't know how to be a normal person anymore. But of course, since nothing in this movie is even in the same galaxy as subtle, it it just comes out as him blurting out these gross sexualized comments in in interviews. (laughs) On national television, no less. I would like, like to say that he is maybe my favorite character in any Friday the 13th film. He, yeah, I, me too. Yeah, I, I don't think you're wrong. I think there's a case to be made. He's certainly the most indelible character in this film, <laughs> far and away. One of the elements that is surprising in this particular interview mm-hmm. is that they're drinking lemonade. <laughs> with very flimsily cut lemon wedges on the top. I noticed that, too. Like, that wedge was about to fall into or out of his glass. (laughs) Yeah. It was really bothering me. Cut a thicker wedge. (laughs) Just send the prop guy back to cut a thicker wedge. It's like, there's no lemons in Los Angeles. Motherfucker, there's one in the other yard. Just, like, grab a lemon that doesn't look like it's going to take over this scene. Maybe it's like a Kubrick-style detail where the lemon wedge is is thoughtfully placed there and is maybe establishing that uh, Mr. Duke does his own catering for his uh, (laughs) compound. It's it's just supposed to make the audience uncomfortable. Mm, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, This entire scene gives me the willies, that is for sure. (laughs) One of the problems with it is in yet another devastating sartorial choice, our host is wearing, I, I called it a houndstooth coat with gingivitis. Mm. <laughs> it's gross looking, y'all. Th- why, why does this film fetishize ugly looking browns is beyond me. Like everywhere you look, there's something in it that's brown and makes you feel bad. Just <laughs> looking at it. Yeah, this is definitely one of the uglier movies just in the way it's lit and how the, the characters look and just how everybody behaves it's just it's a little <laughs> bit of harm it's a little bit of harmony Corrine going on there it's just you know everything's just kind of disgusting and has like a layer of grime over it yeah it's it's sleazy but sleazy with the purpose as opposed to part five which is just Danny Steinman sleazy which is like Anytime a woman passes a mirror, she just takes off her top. It's completely unmotivated. It's just a thing he has to do. Here, there's a a slick sleaze happening, and it's very 90s. 
every time I, I've turned this movie on, all I think about is Spawn, <laughs> <laughs> which was another gross brown movie. Yeah, yeah, that was. I think about it. Just, it, it, I guess it's just supposed to look gritty. Uh, it's supposed to look gritty, but it, it's, uh, but it's also everything looks for the most part very well played, and it's way better lit. And the sound design is so much better because technology has gotten better. I mean, this, again, for the second episode in a row, this came out the same year as Jurassic Park. <laughs> so, like, it is a leap, a quantum leap from where part eight is in a lot of ways. I have a single sort of, and I haven't been interviewed on camera often. But when I do, I've got one rule that I stick to. No knives. You leave leave your knives in the car. Yes, leave your knives in the car or whatever boot slip that you have it in or, <laughs> you know, whatever sort of tango and cash sort of uh, secret compartment that knife goes into, put it there and concentrate on the television interview. I still trust Creighton Duke more than Dog the Bounty Hunter, but only just barely. And he's way more competent. <laughs> and has better hair. So this is where Creighton delivers the grand theory of this movie. He's going to just let it spill in a television interview to everyone in the hopes that they don't think he's crazy. That Jason is a hidden-like alien. That anytime you've seen him before, he's just wearing the husk of a body around. And when he doesn't like it, he discards it. Yeah, but he's only just done that. He has l- only just started doing that. How, do, <laughs> yeah. how does he... I mean, this... this uh, in, th- in listening to you describe it, I'm like, that makes even less sense than it did before. <laughs> because this... He's saying this like this is something he's been doing for a while. Whereas, you know, as far as we know, the first time he's done it is when the coroner eats his heart. But we made a joke in part eight. And we thought it was hilarious that we determined that Jason was just that 10-year-old inside of a meat suit, puppeting (laughs) it around like Child Adultman or whatever that fucking character is who has a broom for a hand, wears a fedora. (laughs) But this confirms our idea. And that is insane. That this is the, what we've come back to, it's like, oh no, Jason can be anywhere. Well, in the last movie, Jason could be anywhere as long as you were within the same on-ship disco. He was anywhere in that room. By the overfilled popcorn maker, by the disconcertingly well-stocked alcohol bar for a high school trip to New York City. Everywhere in there, he was there. So, But, but he always looked the same, though. There's just, there's yeah. the, at, at no point has he... I mean, other than the difference between how he looked in part two to how he looked in part three, yes. he's, he's always been a hulking mutant. But at no point up until five minutes before Creighton Duke says this, that we've seen any sign that he has he jumps from body to body. I'm also and, curious how Creighton knows all this. Yeah, it, it plays very much like there was another movie between... <laughs> between eight yeah. and nine that filled all this in oh of course audience we're, we're just bringing you up to speed you remember all this right nope 
I also don't know how you can justify making this decision from like for like the franchise because you put so much equity into like this big hulking monster and then you're like, no, what he can just be whatever he wants. It doesn't matter. It's still scary. But like that's not true because making him a bit like a big goofy sweaty corner is not scary. Who breathes through his nose a lot instead of acting like at least the last couple of Jasons who breathe heavily through his mouth. Yes. So I would be fine with this idea that Jason can just hop into any old body he wishes if the film were using this to its advantage where I don't know who might be Jason and then all of a sudden that person's Jason. That might be interesting. But so like so like Jason is. so like Jason meets the thing or something? Yes. If if you have a body hopping serial killer, a la a shocker, let's say, <laughs> or uh, what was the one with um, Denzel Washington? Fallen. Uh, Fallen. Now, see that did that that did that bit very well. Yes, and they all had their little towels. Shocker always dragged his right or left leg, whichever one he had injured. And so, even when he was a twelve-year-old girl and swore like a sailor, you're like, oh yeah, that's Shocker. But here, we always know who's Jason because he has blood all over his mouth because a part of this is taking down a giant worm and then spitting up black goo and roaring like a dinosaur. It doesn't have the exact same impact. And sort of just lurching around like he's forgotten how to walk. And yet, and yet, this is the perfect transition, Gina. Once again, you've read my mind. Because after this Creighton Duke interview, we the host comes back and informs us that there have been, quote, five more Jason-style murders that were committed in a direct line between Youngstown, Ohio, where the morgue was, and Crystal Lake. Couple things. One, I like the phrase Jason-style murders. It's kind of like, like, like Chicago-style pizza. I was going to say you know, Julianne-style fries. <laughs> you know exactly what he's talking about. Perfect. Great branding. Way to go. And also, we thought it was mystifying when Jason wandered into wherever Alice was staying in, in the in the beginning of part two. And he just wanders around with a sack over his head and his mom's head in a bag and was able to get over into the next town without anybody noticing. Now this motherfucker has walked across state lines covered in blood and black through, grossness through and Pennsylvania- killed five people to boot? Through Pennsylvania, which is a very, that's one of the, if you're walking across Pennsylvania, that's going to take you a couple days. Yes. And, and I just picture him standing on the highway with the giant thumb, like in Pee-wee's Big Adventure, <laughs> trying to hitchhike, <laughs> Crystal Lake or bust. Well, I think he'll encounter a new enemy, systemic racism, as he tries to <laughs> cross Pennsylvania. And and does he have one of those like AAA almanacs? How does he know how to get from Ohio to Crystal Lake? That I assume is some sort of internal supernatural homing beacon. Yeah, it's like the that magnets in a bird brain. <laughs> and right. why is it so important that he get back there? He's like a salmon that needs to spawn. He needs to go back to the source of his power, which is Crystal Lake. I guess well that would be the source of his power up until this point and then this movie excuse oh well okay you know what yeah on the other hand we were coming to another you know we just made this up for this movie plot twist i guess that explains why he's coming back is it in the interview or is it after where he makes the five hundred thousand dollar offer to do that's in the interview 
And, yes. And his his offer is that he both one prove that Jason exists, which seems like a fait accompli. <laughs> like the FBI <laughs> captured the body, and like we know that part. And yeah, then they, two, like they kill spent him. tax dollars killing him. And can you yeah. give someone five hundred thousand dollars to kill someone? I thought that was against the law. It, where is it in this television budget where they're like, let's see, we can spend five hundred grand on all of our shows in March, <laughs> or we could give it to this bounty hunter for him to kill somebody, and we'll approve it on air. You would be prosecuted for this. <laughs> this is well, a bad idea. I, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but this is this movie seems to exist in the same sort of alternate universe that Natural Born Killers does. In which, you know, people treat someone who has murdered countless people as sort of a fun thing to to be interested in, in, in and like a weird sort of pop culture phenomenon, as yeah. as we see with a diner that sells Jason themed hamburgers. Now, mm-hmm. I, I'm trying to think back the last time a really notable serial killer was captured, and I know that I'm missing a few, but I keep coming back to Jeffrey Dahmer. And my being aware, the, the first time really being aware and paying attention to the news about it. I guess I was maybe 18 or 19. And nobody was treating this like this was a you know crazy thing to have quirky people talking about what makes Jeffrey Dahmer tick. It was just a lot of really awful details and, you know, shots of crying, you know, family members in, in courtrooms and not a single themed hamburger. <laughs> Which is just such a really, that the whole theme of this movie is just so weird and does not seem to exist on any sort of, you know, plane that resembles this earth that we're living on. It reminds me a lot of the sixth Nightmare on Elm Street movie, the Freddy's Dead. Because in that, when they go back to the source of, of Elm Street and the, and the entire town has gone crazy because all the kids are dead... And you have that Roseanne Barr, Ooh, Tom uh, Arnold scene, cameo. yeah, yeah. And <laughs> it's you, all again, it's very, it's very you know, self-referential, and and it's it's just it's just really just weird and and unsettling, but not in a not in a way you want a horror movie to be weird and unsettling. <laughs> Didn't that one also establish that Freddy was like the byproduct of demon fairies? No, yes. he was. Yeah, he was. That, I thought he was like the 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 you know literally the, the bastard son of a hundred maniacs or something like but that. That was that, the, that established is also in five. Yeah, but in in six, there's a scene in which we we flash back to him being burned alive by the townspeople. Yes, and he is approached mm-hmm. by dream demons. Yeah, those basically guys basically look like. <laughs> Freddy semen floating <laughs> That's exactly around. What they look like, yeah. <laughs> it was. Oh my god. So maybe this movie's bridging some universes somehow because it's new line. Exactly. I really think they're attempting to do that. Uh, they they had specialized in a specific type of popular horror movie, and what they're trying to do is like, all oh, right, we have this new franchise that we can play with. Um, what are the tools that we usually do so we can guarantee its success? And so they're sort of making a portmanteau of Friday the Thirteenth film. So I'm like, well, it's it's the it's now a Jason movie. It's different. <laughs> so yeah, uh, uh, once again, the the a television show says yes, we will pay this person five hundred five hundred thousand dollars 
to kill a person. <laughs> and I mean, that think of it. was what the pre-streaming economy was like, millennials. You know, compare that to that. That would be like BuzzFeed making it a public post offering money to, I don't, I don't know, who, who is somebody that people would be happier if they were just taking off this planet. I don't know. Uh, the guy, Nasser, the guy who just got convicted for... Sure. Well, I mean, oh, yeah. that would be like BuzzFeed posting, click here if you'll accept $100,000 for killing George Nasser. Don't give them ideas because I swear to God, one of those sites will start to do this. We There's going to be like a GoFundMe so tomorrow. <laughs> and I guess American Case Files producers have seen, they remember like Geraldo opening uh, Capone's vault and how, you know, that was probably a big outlay of money to get rights to open that vault and everything, right? So they're like, yes. it worked for Geraldo and there's nothing in there. This time, if they paid the money, Jason exists and this is going to be a big deal. This footage is going to be super useful. So that, that, that's where they're going from, I think. Yeah. They only have to pay if he really exists. If he just brings a pile of rotted meat and says, then there's Jason, he might not get the money. <laughs> right. But then again, that's also part of Creighton Duke's weird business plan. I don't quite, well, we're going to get to that. Because we're going to see Creighton, how Creighton operates in the real world is something we are about to see. We're going to cut to Buck Rogers in the 25th centuries and uh, Silver Spoon's own Erin Gray. As we see her, she has been watching this broadcast of American Case File. Um, <laughs> when we see her uh, gasping at the end of it, we learn three things about mm -hmm. this character immediately. Great visual storytelling. Number one, she has sister wife hair. <laughs> <laughs> first rate choice because if there's anything you want to do you want to bump down the attractiveness of Erin Gray don't let her be super attractive it, that would be too much let it be horrible hair two her waitress uniform looks like Bob's big boy cosplay <laughs> is that what you call gingham is that the right term yeah it's very yeah Bob uh, big boy has a gingham overalls okay so uh, only this is red picnic checkmarked. Right. So, and then uh, three, this diner is staffed entirely by crazy characters who have chosen their affectations out of a fishbowl filled with audience suggestions. There is no point <laughs> to anyone's existence in this diner as far as, oh yeah, I would expect to see that this diner is run by this very butch, style like a 50s she's a, she's a straight up she's a straight up john waters character <laughs> she is <laughs> i thought this, this I, whole don't, family... I don't i don't know where they i don't know where they got her from but but she is something else <laughs> this is. whole family is like a healthier version of ethel and junior basically from <laughs> yes uh once again friday 13th part five so you've yes. got the mom joey mm -hmm. you've got the son ward and this time you've got a, a partner to Joey. I don't know if it's Ward's dad. That's never seemed to be clearly established. Uh, but Shelby, who's a small little man, while Joey is this hulking large woman, a sort of large Marge. Because, it's because of, of course she is. Because mm -hmm. that's, you know, because your size differential in, in couples is always hilarious. And hot. <laughs> <laughs> that little man is Leslie Jordan from Will and Grace. Is it? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Who seemed to be the Newman of that particular show whenever he walked into it. He's sort of a 
gay, older gay foil that w- would constantly get in the way of their machinations. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess his, his name was Beverly Leslie on the show, but it was it's Leslie Jordan. And he, the idea that this couple produced that kid or that they're over... <sighs> I, what I'm telling you is I don't read a lot of sexual tension between them, <laughs> but that doesn't mean that they aren't having sex or really healthy sex for them. I just don't know what their kink is because everyone in this movie has a weird fucking kink that we oh, do yeah. not know about. But oh, you definitely yeah. see a sexuality between them because they you're, you're introduced to them making out in front of their in front of her son, at least. I don't know their son. <laughs> and he's like, this is super gross. And this movie also seems to have a problem where everyone's right around the same age except for the geriatric sheriff. Because <laughs> Diana looks like, I don't know, I would have guessed Diana, who is, is the lady watching TV, the gingham waitress. She's 38, 39, 40 maybe? Yes. And somewhere around there. Steven, who we are introduced to in the scene, looks maybe 32. Yeah, I don't know. That might be just a 90s, I can't tell how old or young anyone is. Uh, we we were asked on Twitter to stop telling uh, everyone that this person doesn't look like a teenager. Um, so we're going to we're gonna try to oh, abide by me. that helpful piece of advice that we that person deleted their tweet for some reason, oh. but we took it to heart. Yeah. It's fine. Mm-hmm. We, we enjoy feedback here. We ask you to give it to us. Um, so I don't really know. His age is definitely indetermined. Mm-hmm. He feels like an off market brat packer. Like he put a couple of components together. Right. That don't uh, I kept quite thinking fit. of, um, Oh God, he's like B level uh, Frank Whaley. He reminded yeah. me of Frank Whaley, and and I just like I just thought of him as like the TJ Maxx version of Frank Whaley, <laughs> and, could, and Frank Whaley was already a TJ Maxx version of like Matthew Broderick and everybody like that. He's yes. sort of a younger Paul Reiser, and he's got the George <laughs> Costanza glasses, which I I think are the worst thing the '90s produced. People complain about '90s color choices and stuff. No, those Costanza glasses are the most unattractive form of glasses I've ever seen. I would agree with you. <laughs> um, he will be familiar to serious Friday the Thirteenth fans because he was a regular on Friday the Thirteenth the series, oh. which makes him the only person to really cross over from the. TV element of Friday the 13th to the movies and you can see why because he is filled to the brim with sexual (laughs) chemistry and raw masculinity listen I don't need to put these arbitrary things on him but it does he does not seem like the guy who's going to carry your movie let's put it that way no no he he did seem like he should have been killed immediately in the next scene <laughs> i wanted to see more of more of ward but uh i guess that's not going to happen in this part because uh <laughs> he looked like a handsome young man i would say and uh, i wanted to get to know him better maybe I'll, I'll write him a fan letter or something there you go <laughs> tell him all about it sure why not yeah get him Weird on the podcast oh my god the last thing we need are people who've actually <laughs> acted in friday the 13th movies to be a part of this podcast when we get to uh nightmare on elm street i'll have on all the friday the 13th people you want <laughs> uh but no no, no they'll, they'll be too protective of what is a sterling series that has nothing weird happening in it whatsoever 
And so uh, Diana is approached by who a few people, including someone I thought was her father, but is not her father. <laughs> in this, oh, and I guess the scene does open with the whole reveal of you were saying this is a celebration of the death of Jason. They're creating Jason hamburgers, uh, two for one, and and the idea is that they shape them into the Jason mask and use the excess meat from the holes to create a second patty, which is thrifty. <laughs> And also, you know, probably better for you because you're going to have two hamburgers. Everyone has two hamburgers. And yeah. this is, is less, less uh, you know, ground chuck, which is better for you. But you better be serving them open-faced. Otherwise, you're really not going to get the effect. And we never see a finished product. So I don't really know how that oh, patty ends up on the bun. And I feel that's a disservice to me, the viewer. So in the middle of this, Diana decides to saunter up and uh, ask the person at her station what his order is. That person turns out to be Creighton Duke. And this is a kind of a weird way to go about what is his goal here is to get Diana to help him earn $500,000, right? Can we all agree that's the point of this? Right. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So he goes about it by basically saying, why don't you suck my dick and when you can suck my dick when your boyfriend, the elderly sheriff, gets done doing it. <laughs> this does not seem to be a great way to get her on your side to help you earn $500,000 you claim to want. Everybody has a price, though. He does. He does say that. What's yeah. her price? Her soul? We never find out. Her conscience? We never find is he, is he offering her a cut of the $500,000? Yeah. Is that what he means by yeah, that? Yeah, that, that was you my interpretation. Okay. Yeah. This is a business thing for him. He's not killing Jason because it is the right thing to do. And a tasty way to do Jason it. Jason because it adds to his legend and he's earning $500,000. <laughs> yeah. But that is a powerful motivator. But the way he goes about accomplishing that task is to get himself arrested, which contrary to popular belief does not help you kill jason voorhees yeah and it's hmm. not even like he was forced into a confrontation with the police in the diner he is antagonizing them he's like the rudest person i've ever seen in this diner <laughs> yeah and i mean it's, it's, and the cops the cops have a reason to not care for him because again he's, <laughs> yeah. he's interfering in 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 due process and, and it's probably safe to say that he is you know almost definitely you kill people that probably do not actually need, deserve to die his hands are not clean, that is for sure. You don't start twirling around knives and in television interviews because you're a straight-up honest feller. He's a dangerous bad boy, and we all love yes. him. That's right. In, in the, in the uh, boy band that is the Friday the 13th Pantheon, mm-hmm. Creighton Duke, definitely the bad boy. The one mom doesn't want you to date. But deep down, you want to. Listen, I get it. I get the attraction. I'm just saying from a business standpoint, Creighton has a lot to learn because he gets himself arrested. And Diana then tells what we will eventually learn is her daughter's, her son-in-law or just baby daddy. I am so, there's just so much this movie leaves out and (sighs) and so much. I, I really do think they expect you, you're supposed to know who these characters are already. And I just... 
I, I again, I forgot so much about the movie that I might. This might as well be the first time I've seen it. But it's just like I don't know who these characters are. I don't know who their <laughs> names are. I, I don't know what. I don't even know where this is supposed to be. I I, <laughs> d- d- I did not get until what's his face, the guy, the glasses guy. I, I don't e- didn't even get that they were supposed to be near Crystal Lake until until he's driving and picking up these hitchhikers. It also doesn't help that I think every scene up to this point takes place somewhere different. So it moves like from state to state between scenes with totally different characters and it doesn't it just feels like a collection of unrelated things. I mean, the only thing that ties these scenes together is people talking about Jason Voorhees. Right. Which leads me to believe that Jason Voorhees is the stealth protagonist of this movie <laughs> because he's the one everyone's talking about constantly and one one of the core elements of early Friday the 13th movies is that people were unaware that they were being stalked by a Jason Voorhees and now he's so famous that you say his his name on television and a nation's spine becomes a, a Twitter tingled <laughs> And if you keep introducing me to (laughs) if you keep introducing me to characters like Creighton Duke, I'm going to begin rooting for Jason Voorhees. I don't know how you say say that. That is terrible. He is compelling. He has a magnetism. He he draws me to him. How could you? How could you say that? Well, he knows how to move around an unlit cigar that he's constantly chopping <laughs> Now, the scene decor of this diner is incredible, and the one thing I couldn't stop focusing on was a sign that said, Yes, we have fried clams. <laughs> <laughs> so is this a coastal town? Is, is that that? Well, it, but it's just upriver from New York City, so yeah, I mean, it kind of is. I mean, you don't have Jason piloting ships back and forth like he used to do. (laughs) But according to the last movie, you have a direct water connection to the coast. So, yeah. And and Duke also ordered, what were the kind of fries? Were they Voorhees fries? They were, he he, uh, ordered a Voorhees burger with a side of Jason fingers. Jason fingers, because that's tasteful. What do you imagine those are? I wondered if that were fries or if that were chicken fingers. Oh. Which is another thing that does not, in fact, have fingers, but has a food named after their fingers. <laughs> but that it could also be maybe cu- fried zucchini. Oh. Fried zucchini, that's oh. what I'm thinking of. Okay. Sure. <laughs> Why not? Like a tempura? Well, you know, fried zucchini would be good because it's going to be mushy. And you know Jason's just totally mushy at that point. He's leaking from everywhere. But he's been <laughs> leaking from everywhere now for two straight movies. It really hasn't stopped his progress. And he's been able to hoof it all the way from Ohio to New Jersey. I do um, like the idea of Jason Voorhees driving a car across state lines. Though. <laughs> Has he driven before? No, that is that, that is that's, thing. that's that's Michael Myers. Okay. Michael, Michael Myers, Myers has has somehow under. managed to maintain the ability to drive a car. Okay. Yeah. Jason Voorhees rides a bike, probably. Right. <laughs> well, he may have inherited the bike from Crazy Ralph, so there was an available bike. <laughs> oh, I love that! I love that image of him just shakily riding a bike from from Ohio <laughs> to, to New Jersey. That is a wonderful image. Thank you. <laughs> And a raccoon off to the side <laughs> chirping instructions on, no, 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 keep paddling, keep paddling. <laughs> now you're going to want to slow down. It, it, it's easier when you go faster. 
Yeah, I'd love to see Jason Voorhees learn how to ride a bike, and it's going to be hard for him to cross major intersections because the mask cuts off your peripheral vision. Um, so, uh, I don't know that that bit went as well as I thought. It, it was great. You should feel proud of it. Own it. I think we're I think we're trying to to really just parse everything that's happened in this. 15 to 20 minute long sequence. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it should be noted that we are 55 minutes into this recording. Right. Uh, you know, unedited. We have yet to happen upon a dead body. No. <laughs> That's true. The only dead bodies that have been discussed at this point were mentioned on television and that's it. Well, there's dead cow. That, Where was there a dead? Oh, the, the, the Jason the hamburger. Yeah, that, the hamburger. That, that, that <laughs> flat, there's always been dead cow. That, that flat ass little hamburger. <laughs> <laughs> we know from a little bit later in this movie that they have been grooming small dogs in the neighborhood to become <laughs> dependent upon them as a food source. So we don't really know the purpose beyond that. It could be kindness. It could be something else. That, we don't know. I'm sure that scene leads somewhere, right? Which is the grosser diner? in the Crystal Lake area, assuming that Pinehurst is. This diner, or the one that we saw in part five, where they left food out all night, and they had a random cat just roaming (laughs) over the entire eating area, and at one point is launched out of a t-shirt cannon into a booth. This one seems hygienic, so I will say (laughs) the other one for sure. (laughs) You know, Joey B, she runs a clean diner. Joey B looks like she could beat the shit out of me. I love her eyeshadow. It's like this blue that's just going up. Oh, it's great. She has a great outfit. (laughs) She really does. I mean, I'll tell you who is... uh, God damn it. I'm going to fuck up this joke. (laughs) Do it. Do it. (laughs) I can't wait. Just just live your best life, Patrick. Go for it. (laughs) No, I came up with the joke. And now I don't have the point of reference out loud. I'm going to have to ask it. And then back up, which is going to ruin the joke. But it was the ABC television show uh, about then they all lived in Cleveland. And now he's the host of The Price is Right. Oh, Mimi with Drew Carey. No, I'm talking about the Drew Carey. Yeah. She has the perfect Drew Carey outfit. Oh. She is on the modified bowling shirt sort of <laughs> look and, and blocky black uh, artist glasses. And she has a tremendous head of hair i mean she has a whole look i like this person i like her a lot and her diner is fucking dope she has the best chandeliers <laughs> i've seen in any friday the 13th movie this has got to be a real place wait there's no way someone in a friday the 13th organization set dress this motherfucker those are real 50s starburst light fixtures y'all you don't just come across those i i've priced them at swap meets and they are expensive how do they rank against the Voorhees chandeliers that we will be seeing later well okay see now let's get it mm, see i think we're jumping ahead okay sorry where we are at this point (laughs) we're an hour into this and we have no dead bodies right we do have five dead bodies that we've been told about and so it is time once again, ladies and gentlemen, to play Choose Your Own Death Venture. <laughs> if you had to die in one of the ways that we saw in this portion of the movie, which would you choose and why? Would you die somewhere in between Ohio and New Jersey? Somewhere between Ohio and New Jersey. Somewhere between Ohio and New Jersey. 
somewhere between Youngstown, Ohio, and New Jersey, <laughs> and somewhere between New Jersey and Ohio. <laughs> and so, Jim, you're the newbie here. You get the first crack at the bat. Which would you choose and why? Um, you know, I'm going to say I've never been any of those places. So I'm going to say anywhere between New Jersey and Ohio. Wow. <laughs> Bold. Yeah. Bold fucking choice. I'll be honest with you. I didn't see this one coming. Uh, John, what say you? Well, I, I assume I can't choose to be the cow that was probably humanely killed with a, some sort of air gun. Not up for bid. Okay. And I can't be one of the serial killers whose neck was quickly snapped by Creighton Duke, right? No, because we assume that Jason Voorhees is not really responsible for him. We have only really focused mainly on people who are killed by Jason <laughs> Voorhees or by one of the other characters on screen, like in part eight when the videotape kid gets uh, shoots a deckhand, the sexy deckhand. Right. Because he got his, his eyeglasses blasted off by steam, but his face didn't melt off. <laughs> then I will say one of the five people killed in a trail of death between Ohio and Crystal Lake. All right. Well, I'll be honest with you, John. I, I sort of see, saw that coming. Okay. Sorry. I, <laughs> I, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna like it's a little typical. I'm gonna ask you to step up your game for the next show. I'll, I'll do. Better. All right, Gina. What say you? Well, you know, I've mentioned numerous times that uh, I am from New Jersey and <laughs> went to high school not very far from uh, where Crystal Lake is supposed to take place. Um, so I. I figure i'm just gonna inevitably end up back there someday so i'm just gonna say you you on the road from ohio to new jersey okay well if i were to 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 say my preference i would choose as close to youngstown ohio as i could possibly get uh i don't want to die in new jersey i avoided it the two years <laughs> that i lived there and i certainly don't want to go back to doing it even though i've chosen it for almost every episode that we've ever had with the exception of the ones that took place at Pinehurst, which is in the nether realm, or New York City. So, yeah, I'm going to go close to Youngstown, Ohio for my choice. Mm. And that pretty much does it. Now, you're saying, Patrick, no one's died in a show called Kill by Kill. <laughs> don't worry. This is a special circumstance. We're bringing the whole crew back. You don't even have to wait two weeks. I promise, next week... A whole new b b b b bonus episode of Friday the of fucking it's Kill by Kill, goddammit. The, the show is called Kill by Kill. You get a bonus episode of Kill by Kill, where we talk about the actual deaths that occurred in this movie. There's so much fucking territory to cover. We've run out of time to talk about actual death. You don't have to wait long; just one week, and we will be back. So. Uh, before we do that, let's do some quick plugs, and I'm going to pull a name randomly out of a hat. Jim Banks, mm -hmm. where can people find you and learn more about what you do in the world? Yeah, so our podcast is called Square Roots. It is a classic RPG podcast where we play and talk about uh, old games like you know Final Fantasy and Chrono Trigger. Um, John Brandon is one of my co-hosts. You can find that podcast on uh, iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, Johnny, any outside interests that you want to entice our listeners to check out? Uh, I would like to start announcing my new experimental film series where I will try pushing a hot dog through a donut. 
cannot wait. Are you going to have wear the pink dress? Because there's a lot of components that you seem to be missing from that. Well, you know, one step at a time here. It's you know, I, I'm, There's no wrong answers in brainstorming, please. <laughs> Sounds very Lynchian, John. You sound very Lynchian, Jim. <laughs> and our, our podcast is much less sexual and weird. So uh, Is it? No. <laughs> okay. I, did, I, I didn't, yeah, I don't think that's true. Uh, Gina, where can people find you on the internet? I have a brand spanking new website that is named after me. It is GinaRadcliffe.com, uh, where I you know, occasionally write about sexual or weird things. Not really, but not, now I'm going to, because now now uh, John has forced me to, to up my game a little bit. Uh, I am also on Twitter, God help me, at uh, Porcelain72. Excellent. Uh, check it out today, people. Uh, you can reach out to us uh, uh, kill by, at KillByKillPod uh, on Twitter, uh, which is most of where we hear from you in, in the world. Don't be afraid to, to tell us your real opinions. You don't have to erase your, your, your tweets at us, even if they're mildly chastising us. We're big people. We can take it. Be if we a make man a about butt it. joke about it. It's just because I wanted to make a butt joke. <laughs> <laughs> and believe me, I want to make a lot of butt jokes, and I hold it back. Uh, you can, uh, speaking of butt jokes, look for us on Instagram at Kill by Kill Podcast, or of course on Facebook, where we have the page uh, as our main portal and uh, the community, our Kill by Kill Podcast community. Uh, please join us in and talk more about Friday the 13th and Jason Goes to Hell. And that will do it for this week. Don't worry, folks. The body count continues in one week from this moment. And until then, for Jim and John and Gina, bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Au revoir. See ya. Kill by Kills produced by We Write Good and is intended for entertainment purposes only. Friday the 13th is owned by Paramount Pictures. Jason is owned by New Line Cinema. No infringement is intended. Kill by Kill logo was designed by Josh Hollis. Visit him at joshhollis.com. The Kill by Kill theme was created exclusively for us by Revenge Body. Get the whole track and much, much more at revengebodymemphis.bandcamp.com today.